going to start off really basic. And one of the things uh, that I wanted to do, I'm super excited about, it might be really cheesy, but I'm excited about it, but I'm kind of cheesy, so it's okay, is we're going to start saying, here's what's on tap for the week. And this will be a way that we can kind of remember what the sermon was about, what we're talking about. And so here's what's on tap this week. It's always going to have, every sermon's going to have a theology truth. Theology is the study of God, okay? And so it's going to have a theological truth. That's the T. The A for what's on tap is our application. What do we do with this? Great, now I know this information, but what do I do with it? And then the P is going to be prayer. Our prayer is a church. And so this week, we're going to start with really basic truth. God loves you. That's the truth. That's the whole theology. That is the theological truth that I want you to go home with, is that God loves you. And he doesn't love you because you earned it. He doesn't love you because you merited it. The God of the universe who spoke and created the worlds in existence, the, the God of the universe who spoke and the oceans were teeming with fish and hillsides were being run over by uh, wildebeest or something, right? And great whales were jumping from the water and stars dotted the sky and planets circled in their galaxies. That God loves you. The Bible describes him as high and holy and full of glory. There is nothing, there is nothing in this world that we can compare to the highness and the glory and the majesty and the beauty of God because everything that we could ever think of would fall short. It just would. And that God loves you. Perhaps the most famous verse in the entire Bible is John 3.16. You see it on football players' eye black. You see it on signs. You see it on cars. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. The God of the universe loves you. Now where the challenge comes in is the belief of that. It's hard for us sometimes to believe that God loves us, uh, especially if we have a high view of God. If we believe he's high and holy, the, the bigger we make God, the harder it is to believe he loves us because we're very aware of our own failures and our own faults and all the ways that we come up short. And what I want you to understand, what I'm hoping that we can take away this morning is that whoever we've been and whoever we are, all of the, all the faults that we can add up and all the mistakes that we can make, that those are not the things that impact God's view of us. I think that probably in some level or another, each of us has experienced conditional love or weak love at some point where, where someone was kind to us based on our performance. I was telling the morning service that everything we do in this world is performance-based. If you're going to get a job, if you're going to get a promotion and job, you know, like if you're doing well in school, it's based on how well you do, uh, playing on a sports team. You're, you're only the starter if you're the best on the team, you know, or if the best on the team got hurt, and then you're like... Or if you're the third or fourth string, you're hoping that the other three guys get hurt so you can be in, right? But like, it, it's, it's all performance-based, isn't it? That's not how it is with God. God is not looking for you to perform for him this morning. He is not looking. It, it, it's not, man, if I close my eyes and raise my hands a little bit higher, then God will be a little bit more pleased with me than if I sit down and sing. It's not how it works. God loves you not because of who you are, but because of who he is. God is full of love. Yeah. That is important and key for you to know. Here's one of the things that I want to explain to you. This is from Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. You can go there if you want. I'm just going to have you turn to a couple of texts this morning. Uh, most of them I'll just kind of go over in passing. But Romans chapter 5, if you have your Bible or if you have a phone, or you can just listen. That's fine too. Romans chapter 5, 6 through 10. I just want to highlight four little words for you. In Romans 5, 6 through 10. It says this. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. One will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person one would dare to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have now been justified by the blood of Jesus, 
How much more will we be saved by Jesus from the wrath of God? For if while we were yet enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now than we were reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. That's a lot of words, so let me just sum it up for you. God loved people while they were powerless, ungodly sinners who were his enemies. That's the gist. Not why people, while people were doing good things, not while they were winning awards, not while they were being super kind. While humankind was powerless to save themselves, powerless to do anything good, while they were ungodly, contrary, against the character of God, while they were sinners, separated from God. If you've heard the word sin before and you've never had it explained, let me just tell you really quickly that sin is an archery term. Uh, anybody in here, maybe not archers, bow hunters, uh, anybody like to fire a gun, anything like that, right? So the word sin means to miss the mark, to miss the bullseye. So if you've ever wondered what sin means, that's what it means, to miss the, bulls, the bullseye, to miss perfection. That, that's every one of us, right? Not a single one of us has ever done all things perfectly in our lives. And so while we as humankind were powerless, ungodly sinners, missing the mark, while we were still enemies of God, then he loved us. Not because of who we are, not because of what we've done. It doesn't matter what your performance was last year. It doesn't matter how much you've given to the church or how many mission trips you've been on or if you've ever been on one, how many Christian t-shirts you own or don't own, or if you have James Avery jewelry, you know, like that was the big thing 20 years ago, 30 years ago, like James Avery jewelry. Every Christian had to have James Avery jewelry, and I'm not knocking it, like, but it's just, that was the thing, right? 30 years ago, everybody had a piece of James Avery, right? And maybe still do, right? But that's not the thing that, that makes us pleasing to God. God is pleased with us because he chose to be pleased with us. God loves you because he decided to love you. That's, it. that's the theology. That's the truth. That's the thing that needs to be in your mind and your heart, is that God loves you. Now, it's not performance-based. It is based on his love and his kindness. 1 John chapter 3 says this. 1 John chapter 3 says, How great a love the Father has lavished upon us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. How great a love the Father has lavished upon us that we would be called children of God. I don't know if you grew up in a good home or in a bad home. I don't know if your parents loved you, if you knew your parents, if you were raised by your grandparents. I don't know. But I want you to know that the opportunity to be part of the family of God, this high and holy God who created all things and knows all things and is universal uh, in his knowledge and his truth, this God loves you, and he's invited you to be part of his family. The love of God brings us into his family. And it, 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 like, uh, I was the kid that was always picked last in PE. I just was, you know? That's not true. There was one kid. Let me think. In junior high, out of our big junior high, there was like 500 of us kids in junior high. Uh, I was the third least cool kid. Uh, there were two others, and, and I might have switched with one of them and been the second least cool kid every now and then. The guy who would bark at everybody, I think held the bottom spot, but I'm not sure. Um, but I was never popular. I was just not that kid. I was always going to be picked last. My boys, uh, I have two boys, 10-year-old and 9-year-old, and they can catch a football, and I always tell them that they'll be disappointed in themselves when they don't catch a ball. And I'm like, listen, I couldn't catch until I was 25, you know? And so, I mean, you're doing much better than, than Dad did. Like, no one ever picked me. Uh, people were like, it's a layup, right? The layup's supposed to be easy. I, three times... Three times in middle school, I faked detention. I was a good kid, but I faked detention three times so that I could stay after school and try out for the football team, for the basketball team, and for track so I could impress my dad. I just left it as I had detention because I never got on any of the teams, you know? That's who I was. I was always last. 
Um, and this idea, uh, sometimes we think, yeah, but you know, God's not going to want me. Maybe you're sitting there and you're thinking, yeah, but I'm, I'm not a preacher. I'm not a worship guy. Like, God doesn't, doesn't love me because I'm a preacher. He loves me because he chooses to love me. That's the truth. I'm in his family not because of what I bring to the table, but because he wants me in his family. I'm part of who he is, not because I have something to offer, but because he has something to offer. So you who are feeling lonely and empty and feeling like you have nothing to bring to the table, you who wake up every morning and you're feeling like you can barely stand yourself, the God of the universe likes you more than you like you. He does. When you're feeling like you're failing at work, when you're feeling like you're failing at, in your family, when you feel like you're failing at your, uh, as a parent, when you feel like you're failing, failing as a spouse, God loves you, and even in those moments, more than you love you. How great his love is that he would call us his children, that he would call us into his family. How magnificent and overwhelming and abundant is the love of God. Yeah. And here's the good news. If that isn't good enough, nothing can strip it from you. Nothing can undo it. Nothing can break it. And I know that some of you in your mind are trying to justify, you're like, yeah, but what if I? But what if I? But what if I? Listen to me. The love that God has lavished on you had nothing to do with you. It was his kindness and his mercy poured out on you. So listen to this. Romans 8, 38 and 39. Just listen. You can turn over a couple of pages from where we left off. Romans 8, 38 and 39. For I am certain of this, that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Not death, not life. But how many of you, you heard the statement, you're like, man, that's just life. That's how it goes. I said in the first sermon that like no one ever uses that in a positive way. I made the A-team, you know, or like in my mind, I just thought of like the A-team, you know, with Hannibal and all. But anyway, uh, that's the product of the generation I'm in. But I, because I didn't play sports, right? So for me, there's no A-team. It's the A-team with B.A. Baracus and anyway, Face. And we can talk more about that later another time. All the 80s stuff, okay? We can talk about that. I'm going to be very happy. But it's, it's this. It's... We don't, we don't say, I won the lottery, and that's life. We say, man, I lost my job, that's life. My, I got four flats this week. I remember having a, an old car where literally uh, I drove the tires until I way past when I should have driven them. Got two flats in one day. This is like when I was like 19, had no money. Got two flats in one day, and subsequently got the other two tires flat within the space of a month. Um, I had another car that I was telling Micah about the other day where I was hit four times in the space of two months. And only once was I actually in the car. And that was at a stop sign when the guy in front of me decided he didn't want to turn anymore and backed into me. And, and, and those are the kinds of things we go, that's life. That's just how it goes, right? When the hot water heater busts on your brand new floor and it ruins you, we go, that's life. I need you to know that no matter what happens, no matter what tomorrow looks like, that's life can't separate you from the love of God. Some of us have this mindset. We think like, oh man, these bad things are happening to me. God must be disappointed in me. No. That's just life. But that stuff can't separate you from God's love for you. Mm -hmm. 
nothing present. It says nothing present. None of the things present can separate you from the love of God. I don't know what hell you're going through right now. I hate it when people say that because hell in this life isn't comparative to hell at all. So I don't know what really bad stuff you're going through in this life. It, right now, it can't separate you from the love of God. And maybe you're on top of the world right now and you're serving God really faithfully right now. But you think, but what if tomorrow? What if next year? Nothing in the future, nothing to come, none of the things to come can separate you from the love of God. It can't. It won't undo it. So this is the theology that nothing can separate us from the love of God that is ours through Jesus Christ, through faith in Jesus. Nothing can separate us from that. Once we put faith in Jesus Christ, it is an unbroken bond. Nothing separates us from the love of God. It cannot be undone. That's the theology of the matter. So where does the application come in? What's the application? The application is knowing how God loves us impacts how we love others. Because we know how deeply God loves us, we should love others the same way. That's tough to do. We, would, we really like to be on the receiving end of things uh, when they're good things, right? It's a lot easier to say God loves you. Even if you don't believe that right now, we would rather that be true than part two where it says, now you go love everybody just like God does. That gets a little bit sticky. Because then we start thinking of the list we have in our heads of everything someone's done wrong against us. I had a friend once say to me, I was, or an acquaintance once say to me, I was talking to them and we were just visiting in. And the friend just said, basically, if you get on my list, like they had a list of people they didn't like. And they said, if you get on my list, there's no coming off it. That is not the love of God, is it? But let's be honest. Some of us have the list. People who have been on it for a decade or two decades or three decades, and it doesn't matter if they've changed, it doesn't matter uh, if they haven't changed, like we, we just, they're done because of this thing that they did that offended us or violated our conscience or whatever. And I need us to understand that because God loves us, regardless of who we are, the aim is for us to love others regardless of who they are. If we truly believe that God loves people, then God even loves the people you hate. And by you hating them, you are lying about how God feels about them. The, the, aim isn't, the aim isn't for Ryan to love people better. The aim is for Ryan. That's my name. I don't know if I said that. The name is for Ryan to love people like Christ loves them. To demonstrate to others how God feels about them. How Ryan feels about you is really irrelevant. How God feels about you has eternal value. Has weight forever. Okay, And so God says, Jesus says in John 15, the night before he's crucified, the night uh, a few hours before he's arrested, Jesus says to his 11 disciples, Judas, that there were 12 disciples, Judas has already betrayed Jesus, he's gone, there are 11 guys left, and Jesus says this in John 15, he says, this is my commandment, that as I have loved you, so you ought to love one another. No man, listen, he says, no one, there is no greater love than this that a man lay down his life for his friends and I have called you friends. Now, I want you to think about the gauntlet that Jesus threw out, the challenge that Jesus threw out. He's about to leave. He's about to die, be raised from the dead and ascend into heaven 40 days later. And he tells the guys, listen, here's the commandment. The same way I loved you, you love everybody else. By the way, here's the standard, he says. There's no greater love than this that someone lays down their life for their friends and I'm about to die for you. So here's the standard Jesus gives. Love everybody just like I love you. Hint, I'm about to die for you. That's how he wants them to love him. I mean, come on. But what if they pull out in front of me? You know? That, I mean, 
love them like I love them? What if they're late? What if they don't do the thing they said they're going to do? What if, what if it was a wicked divorce? What if it was a painful divorce? What if it was all the things that we can think of? And the answer is still that God loves people and wants them to know that he loves them. We sit here and we think, yeah, but I haven't done anything as bad as they've done. And, and that's a misunderstanding. It's not about what you or I have done against other people. It's about what you and I have done against God. All of us, all of us come into this world powerless, ungodly sinners who are God's enemies. All of us start off there, and God's love brings us into fellowship with him. And you're saying, man, there is someone in my life who is powerless to change what they've done in the past. My dad just died uh, two months ago, so now he's really powerless to change what's done in the past. He was not a good guy. He was not a nice guy. His funeral service was me and my three siblings dumping his ashes on the hillside in Rue Dussel where he wanted his ashes dumped. We were done. Nothing to say. And he can't undo anything. He wasn't going to. But for the last 20 years, I've had one aim for my father before he died. To show him the love of Jesus and have him know Jesus. That was it. People, people would say to me stuff like, well, don't you want your dad to be a good dad to you? Don't you want your dad to know your boys? Don't you want your dad to know your wife? Don't you want your dad to apologize? The answer is no. I wasn't looking for any of that. Because my relationship with my father can't be about my relationship with my father. My relationship with my father has to be about how God feels about him. God wanted my dad to know him. That's what God wanted for my dad. Think about it like this. If my dad dies, reconciled to me but not reconciled to God, he still goes to hell. If my dad dies reconciled to God, even if he hasn't been reconciled to me, he is enveloped completely in the love of Jesus. That's a higher goal. So our aim then isn't to get people to behave or perform in the way that we would want them to. Our aim then is to show people the unmerited, overwhelming, abundant love of Jesus. That's the aim. And it's huge, and it's hard, and it's difficult, and it will bleed your heart sometimes. Flip over, if you would, to 1 John. It's towards the back. 1 John chapter 4. First John chapter 4. I'm going to begin reading in verse 7. We're going to look at a couple of different texts here. Just listen. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Let us love one another, for love is from God, and love is of God, and those who love know God. Our ability, please hear me say this, my ability, your ability to love someone else does not depend upon your character. It just doesn't. Your ability and my ability to love someone else directly depends upon how much we understand that God loves us. If you completely know and understand that God loves you, you will love other people well. 
When you come to me and you say, Ryan, I'm having a really hard time loving my spouse, or Ryan, I'm having a really hard time loving my kids, or Ryan, I'm having a really hard time loving my neighbor, my first thing to you isn't going to be like, hey, write that person a note. It's not going to be my first counsel to you. Or bake them some brownies, or you know, take them fishing. or buy. That's not going to be it. My first counsel to you will be, pray that God would show you how much he loves you. Because if you and I can come to the understanding of how deeply and richly God loves us, it'll be way easier to love that person well. Because we'll believe that God richly and deeply loves them. Does that make sense? Our aim in understanding God's love for us results, the, the result is, now I told you a minute ago, no matter what you do, God loves you. But what I didn't say is that uh, you can understand God's love and remain the same. God's love will change you. It for sure will. We'll talk about that in the next few weeks. God's love will for sure change you. God's love for you is without condition. God isn't concerned about what you look like today for him to love you. He loves you no matter what. But as we understand richly God's love for us, it changes how we want to love others. Micah and I have been friends for 17 and a half years. I've actually known him longer than I've known my wife. We've only known each other 13 and a half years. But Micah and I, I, I love him as my brother. I love him as my friend. And it's really easy for me to love him because of 17 and a half years of friendship. And all the life we've lived together, him getting engaged to Cammie and his four boys and me getting engaged and marrying Michelle and my boys and the countless times we've traveled together where he's led worship and I've preached like we've been friends for a long time. And it's easy to say I love him because of those things. But the truth of the matter is, if I love him really well because of those things, I'm loving him pitifully because God loves Micah way more than I could ever love Micah. So my aim isn't to love him because we've been friends for 17 years. My aim is to love him because God loves him. Does that make sense? Anybody in here ever had a, let's pretend it wasn't you. Anybody in here ever known somebody who had a friendship that lasted like 20 years and then something happened and they fell apart? You know what I'm talking about? The friendship was over? Why did that happen? I promise it didn't happen because of the love of God. Right? So my love for him has to be about God's love for him and not my love for him. If we love, we know God. Look at verses 9 and 10. In this is love that God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we would live through him. And this is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son for our sins. This is love, not that you loved God well, but that he loved you well. That's love. And jump down if you would to verses 18 and 19. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. My grandmother, who just died as well, my grandmother loved me, I think. I really do. But I remember I was about eight years old, and I think I got it out of a cereal box. I got a little glow-in-the-dark ring out of a cereal box. And I was at her house. I don't remember why I was at her house. My mom and dad were gone, and I was at her house, and I was reading a book, sitting on the couch next to this lamp, had the lamp on. And I would hold the, the ring up like this while I would read a few pages, and then I'd kind of look at it in my hands, you know? And I thought, that's really neat. I wonder how bright it gets. So I put it on the bowl. And then got engrossed in my book. And didn't even smell the smoke. But my grandmother in the other room did. And she came in and she said, what's burning in here? And right away, right? Like you knew right away. And I looked up and it had melted over the entire bowl. And it was black and bubbling. And fear hit me. Now think about this for just a moment. In this moment, if I had truly believed that my grandmother loved me, what would I have said? 
I put a ring on the bowl. But fear hit me. And so I cowered and I hid and I said, looks like your bowl is melting. <laughs> she didn't believe it, of course, but she allowed it to slide, you know? But think about it like this. Why didn't I just say I put a ring on there? Because I was fearful of punishment. Where, where, where there is real love, the fear of punishment is cast out and we have refuge, we have safety. And I need you to know that no matter who you are, what you've done, there is safety in coming to God. You can come to God without fear. But now think for a moment about what the application is, especially those of you who have children. If your child gets in trouble, if they're seriously in trouble, do they fear you or do they know that they're so loved by you that they would come to you if they needed help? If they fear you, you're not loving your children like God loves them. But if they feel safe to come to you, even when they're in their worst trouble, then you're showing your children the love of God because they can come to God when they're in their worst trouble. Why can't they come to us? Michelle, in her abundant grace, this is my wife, Michelle, I, I, I am a clutterer. Just to, just to ease my conscience, is there anyone else that has like just stacks of stuff in their home? Thank you. Two other people, three other, okay. I'm a clutterer. We moved into this house over here three months ago, and I still have boxes on my side of the bed that haven't been undone. I was looking for something yesterday. I was looking for something yesterday, and I pulled out all the boxes, pulled everything out, threw it on the bed, found the thing that I didn't actually find it. She found it. I said, do you know where this thing is? It was a sign for the door down there. She goes, oh, yeah, and she found it like that. I then put everything off the bed back into the boxes and just stacked them in the corner again. Like, it was, uh, it was unpacked. Might as well just put it away, you know, right? But, like... I don't. I truly don't know how she she puts up with me. She's gracious because she's not sitting there going, oh, "Our house is a mess. We've been in this house for three months. The box up." She's saying, "God loves Ryan, and therefore I love Ryan." It's not based on performance. Years ago, when our kids were pretty little, we we always eat Sunday lunch with her mom uh, and her siblings here in town, and. Uh, for whatever reason, we were in two different cars, and I got home right behind her, and she, she was like a little teary-eyed. She said, I'm so sorry. I said, what's wrong? And she goes, I hit the garage door. I thought the car was in park. The boys were crying. I turned around, and the car rolled forward into the garage door. And I was like, okay, let me go look. And went inside, and the bar had been broken. The garage door wouldn't work anymore. Like, we could force it and manually open it and close it. And she goes, is it broken? I said, yeah. And she goes, can we fix it? I said, I I can't, you know, like, because again, not an athlete, can't fix anything. Um, if you're wondering who I am, so like everything that you see here that's been done, if you ever saw this building before, Micah did, okay? Um, I am a bad assistant. Uh, that's what I've been for the last few months. If you want to know about Ryan, uh, I'm an artist. That's how I, uh, that's one of the things that I do. Uh, so I'm an artist, I'm a preacher, and I like to read. So like, I'm all the... Those things, you know? And, and so I was, I was like, yeah, somebody can probably fix the garage, but not me, you know? And she was like, are you mad? Now, here's the, here's the thing, right? We didn't have the money to fix it. The garage door was broken. If it's about Ryan's love for her, I'm mad. But let me ask you that this. Had God's love, when she hit the garage door, had God's love for her changed at all? No. Then does my love for her get to change at all? No. No. Not if I'm loving her correctly. That's where the application lands. The application lands, I don't get to love you based on your performance. I must love you based on how God feels about you. If you wrong me tomorrow, what must I do? Love you. And if you wrong me the next day, what must I do? Love you. And the next day, what must I do? Love you. Now, if you keep wronging me, I'm probably going to quit hanging out with you as much. 
<laughs> just for my own sanity. But my aim is to still love you. Perfect love casts out fear. We don't, uh, I got sidetracked a little bit, but listen to me. Uh, there is no fear in love. Perfect love casts out fear. Fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears, uh, she doesn't need to fear to tell me that she did this. Uh, we try to tell our boys, look, if something breaks, if something happens, if whatever, just tell us, you know? Like, just tell us. We can fix it, right? We'll figure it out. And if we can't fix it, we'll find somebody who can, you know? Like, uh, just tell us. I, I want my boys, I'm, I'm, we started our family late. I met her on my 31st birthday. We, we were engaged a few weeks after that and then married a couple months later. Um, but, uh, like, I, I hope that if God allows me to live long enough that, you know, my kids can grow up and go and have their own families, I hope that when my boys are adults and that they're having trouble, they feel like they can call me. Whether or not they can will be determined by what we establish in our home now. If they can come to me when they're in trouble now, they'll be able to come to me when they're in trouble later, right? Perfect love casts out fear. Verse 19, there is, uh, sorry, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, but hates the brethren, he is a liar. For the one who doesn't love the brethren, whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. Listen, perfect love casts out fear. We love because he loved us first. I was telling the earlier service, I always thought that, that meant we love God because he loved us first. What it actually means is we love each other because he loved us first. Perfect love casts out fear. No one should have any fear in approaching me. I should be able to love them well. And the Bible says that if I say I love God, but I don't love you guys well, then I don't really love God. My ability to love you well is directly tied to how richly I understand God's love for me. In John chapter 13, 34 and 35, Jesus says this, new commandment I give you, that you love one another. By this, all men will know that you're my followers, that you love one another. Here's how the world knows that we are followers of Jesus, by the way we treat each other. Not by our attendance here this morning, not by the kind of music we listen to, by our love for one another. And our love for one another depends upon us understanding that God loves us. The world needs love more than it needs another church building. We're here because this is how our culture works, but this isn't needed as much as the love of God. The love of God is needed in our community. The love of God is needed in our homes. So I told you, every week we're going to have a theology. This is to make it simple, right? So that people can go, hey, I missed Sunday, what's on tap? The theology is, God loves you. The application is, because God loves you, love people like God does. And here's our prayer. Here's our prayer this week. God, show us how richly you love us so that we can love others well. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to take a moment. Do this, please, right? Text it on your phone to your spouse so you have it safe later. Jot it down somewhere. Write it on your hand, you know, get a tattoo of it, something, you know. This, here, here's what I want you to do. I want you to ask yourself two questions. One, do I really believe that God loves me? Do I really believe that? And then the second question is, who is it that I need to show the love of God to? Where have I been failing at showing the love of God? Those are the two questions. Do you really believe that God loves you? And then second, who is it that you need to show the love of God to? Listen, even if you can't join or come to or whatever, look online. Let's do, do our community gathering video as a family. Go through these questions and this, di this discussion, this dialogue together, and let this be something that resonates in your heart and ask yourself the question, who is it that I need to show the love of God to? So I'm going to give you a minute, literally a minute, take a minute to answer those two questions. Do I really believe that God loves me? And who do I need to show the love of God to?
Exalt your name and glorify your name. It is in the name of Christ that we pray today. Amen.